Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you save us as a, as a body. You don't just save us individually, which of course you do, but you save us together. You save your church. Uh, it says that not only that he died for me, as Paul says, but he laid down his life for the church. And Lord, we, we thank you that in, in saving us, you create us into a fellowship that's in your image, the image of God who is himself a fellowship. You call us a household, a family, because you yourself are a family, a household. Lord, we thank you for uh, this expression of your image and the joy and the comfort, the strength, the encouragement that your people are to one another. Uh, Indeed, Lord, we know that again and again, the chief manifestations of your love to us is the love that's shown to us by one another. Thank you, Lord, for this, and thank you that it is a family that you're creating that will last forever. Nothing can stop this family from ultimately being together, no matter how many of us are, how many of us die or are killed or persecuted. Uh, we will be your family in whom you will dwell forever, and nothing can stop that. We thank you for that glory, that privilege, all for those who were dead in our sins who were given up not to your will, but to our own will. Thank you, Lord, for such grace and mercy. And open up our hearts that we may see it even more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. So, just to review, uh, last week we were looking at Boxes in Ephesians, right? Um, Sections of Ephesians. uh, Ephesians 1, uh, 3 through 14, where we have uh, his salvation, basically is talked about before, during, and you might say after time as we know it here. So, Everything from we were predestined and chosen, we obtained forgiveness, and we received the Holy Spirit, but then it speaks of all things one day being united in Christ, and it speaks of the inheritance, that the Spirit is actually a pledge of that inheritance. So we hear everything from before time, during time, and in the future in Ephesians 1. So it lays out the salvation of God. Then the next section is that finishes Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, that's 15 through 23 uh, is his great prayer. And so he prays here for three uh, particular things uh, that you would know. And, and two of them are focused on the future to the hope of his calling, the riches of his inheritance. And then, and this is where he really takes off at this point, the power of God that is now toward you. Uh, 
That's a really important word. Because he says this is the power that God exerted. And he mounts word upon word, power, strength, uh, uh, um, uh, work, working. Uh, there are four different words he uses to describe the resurrection of Christ. And so as he gets, t- and he says, the exceeding greatness of this power that is towards you. That's what I want you to understand. How fantastic, how amazing, how unlimited this, pra- this power that is yours. And it's the power that God uh, exercised in taking the dead Christ and exalting him above all powers on the earth. So, this, this power that has vanquished all powers, I want you to understand that this is the power that is towards you. That's my prayer, that you would know that. You would believe that every day. Imagine every day acting and living in the light of this great power of God that exalted Christ above all powers. There's no power that can stop it. It's the power above powers. It's working in my life. And just to say, uh, as a kind of bookend, way over here in 3, 15 and following, and especially in verses 20 and 21, uh, someone read that for us. Chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Yeah, you got to get out your Bibles. (laughs) Yeah, rats. That sound a lot like chapter one, right? Like bookends here, like this whole section of one through three has this this prayer for power. And now he's exalting him. Of course, he's described the working of that power all this time. But him who's able to do exceedingly beyond all we ask or think. And you might think, yeah, I know, like making the... Uh, making the galaxies and creating black holes and comets and all, all this whole world. Yeah, I know he's able to do far beyond. No, 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 that's not what he's talking about. Because of what phrase there? I didn't hear you. At work, <laughs> work within you, right? So it's the same thing as chapter 1. This power that, is, that raised Christ from the dead is towards you. And now to him who's able to do it, sinning will be on all we could ask or think. According to the power that's working in. That's the power he's talking about. So we're to be awash in a sense of that great power that is toward us. That is, has so much to do with how much we believe we can change. How we can have energy and hope in change. It's the same faith that you read in like Matthew chapter uh, 8, I think, maybe it's 9, where the leper comes to Jesus and knows it is a, it's the first thing after the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if you're willing, you what? Can make me clean. Isn't that believing in that power, the greatness of that power? 
And Jesus responds to faith in that power. So a vital aspect of our faith is believing in the greatness of his power toward us. That's what he's amazed with with the centurion that comes right after that because the centurion says, hey, I know all about authority. I know I just speak to soldiers and they go and do what I tell them to do. So you don't even have to come to heal my servant. Just say the word. I love that. And Jesus says, I've not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. He's a Gentile. A Gentile. So again and again in the the scriptures, you'll see this belief in the power of of Jesus and, and Paul wanting us to understand the power of God, praying that we'll understand it, exalting that power, reminding us of this power that is toward us who believe. And in the last, you'll see how he applies it over in chapter 6, in verse 10, where he says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, etc. Take up the whole armor that you may stand. And the point there is, look, you're against forces. You've got no chance. You're like a man with no clothes on and he's facing a full army. Do you realize you're helpless in this battle? Because you're not fighting against human beings. You're fighting against spiritual forces, angelic powers. What do you think? Stand in the power of Christ. Be utterly dependent and helpless, yes. But then count on, rest in, expect his great power to work in you as Paul has spoken of it uh, up to this point. So this whole, this whole uh, letter, interestingly, it's all about the church, but it's all about the power of God toward the church, toward us to become uh, the people of God that he calls us to be. So um, as he ends this, here's kind of a bridge uh, here into the next section, chapter 2. He's, he calls him... Uh, He's the head. The way he puts it is, he's put all things under his feet and given him as head over all things to the church. So head over all things, I give him to you, the church. Again, I said this last week, but he's not saying... I give him as head over all things in the church. Rather, he's saying, he who is head over all things is now given to the church. That's much more powerful, really. Right? Head over everything. Now, he's given to the church. And he's head over all things, but guess what's his body? The church is his body. But that's his primary concern. That's where his heart is, his love, is to love this body and to gather in all those who will become a part of that body. And he's head over all things so that nothing can stop him in his work for this body. Right? That's the point. That's what's so glorious. Wait a minute. You think, you mean the one who's head over all things is now our personal head uh, and we're his body? What can stop him? What can stop us? It's like Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? If Christ over all things is for us and we are his body, what can be against us? So, 
so I, I, after talking about, <laughs> I like Elmer <laughs> Porky Pig. I mean, <laughs> do you remember my favorite Porky Pig? Okay, <clears throat> this is just thrown in for free because it just hit me. Uh, but my favorite Porky Pig is when he's meeting the big bulldog whose name's Butch, and Butch comes up to him. He says, what, 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 "What's your name, Butch?" Just playing Butch. I don't know. That's just really funny, I think. <laughs> you know, Butch is just sitting there saying, it's not ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Okay. Um, so then we have this section, and we, <clears throat> where the first three verses are, we were dead, and then four through ten, made alive. And remember what we said last week that on the heels of saying that Jesus was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, you must, we must associate then what God does with us, with Christ. Because he loved us and he says in verse 5, he made us alive together when we were dead. He was dead. He was raised. We were dead. We were raised. And then he goes even further, raised us up with him. We were made alive together with him, raised us with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places. Same phrase that he was at his right hand in the heavenly places. So uh, this is the first explanation of this power that is toward us who believe, right, that, that, that will raise Christ from the dead. And how does it manifest itself? It finds us dead and it raises us to be where Christ is in the heavenlies, understood at the right hand of God, understood why we are in this place of authority we join with Christ are no longer bound uh, where we were dead. And, and the implications here, we were under the power of spiritual forces, right? He speaks of the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. Uh, and that, that we were following that prince of the air. He was working in us. We belonged to him. We were his property. We were... His machinations, his, his uh, activity was in us. We were under his thumb. We were dead, belonging to him. And so the power of the resurrection stretches forth, you might say, and sweeps us up into it <laughs> uh, so that we are joined to Christ. And, of course, we, we believe in Christ. We repent with the gospel, all that. But he's, he's just putting it this way of saying how this power manifests itself. So, this head over all things for the church, what does he do for his body? Well, he finds those that are going to be a part of his body dead under the power of Satan, and he rescues them, and he seats them with Christ so that they no longer belong to those powers, but they belong to Christ. And now they can begin to exercise their new energy and authority over those powers by walking in a new life, submitting to Jesus, not to those powers. So that now it is Jesus, they're interesting, we are his workmanship, verse 10, instead of the Spirit working in them. Okay? 
So it was that the Spirit was working in us and we belong to Him. Now we're His workmanship, God's workmanship. Basically, we go from being Satan's workmanship to God's workmanship. Dead to alive. Headed to hell, raised to heaven through the resurrection. But again, let me... And and here's a huge thing we've got to emphasize. Again, this is y'all. He mentions church here. And now we didn't really get to this. We just summarized it. This is clearly all about the church here. Don't think that Ephesians 1, uh, 2, 1 through 10 drops out of this theme of church. This is about... It's, it, it just has a different read when you think, wait a minute, we, Fort Worth Presbyterian Church, we were dead, we've been raised, we're the workmanship of God. It's not just I, Darwin, I'm the workmanship of God. But to think he's working in us as a community that we would manifest his work as a community. In our love for one another, our serving one another, our sacrifice for one another, our bearing ourselves, our confessing our sin to one another, he's raised us to be this new workmanship, this new community. And we, we are created for good works to do as a body, as a church, in our mission, in our mercy. We are created by Christ Jesus to do Super Wednesdays, okay, to do Pregnancy Lifeline, to whatever. Just keep naming those things. We've been raised as a church to be this workmanship of God. And we're not made to be independent of one another. We're made to be together as uh, the church. And notice, this uh, verse 11 starts with, Therefore. And what does he start talking about in verses 11 and following? What's the topic? Starts off with you all who were Gentiles, far away, cut off from God. And you were, as he says in verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He is our peace. He made both one. He's broken down the dividing wall, which was all those Jewish laws and commandments that separated Jew and Gentile. And he has fulfilled the law. He has, he has borne the punishment for sin he, the, and the broken law. He sweeped all that away. And notice verse 16, that he could reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. So he preached peace to you far off, peace to those who are near, Jew and Gentile. Through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So we're in one body. We're in one spirit. You're not strangers anymore. You're fellow citizens your members of the household, your family now. We're all built on the foundation of apostles. The whole structure is a holy temple, uh, the dwelling place of God. So 
therefore, it, what's interesting is for him to, you know, basically his final uh, word to be workmanship and these good works planned before time, beforehand, he says, therefore, he brought you near to become one body. See, the workmanship, wouldn't you say that the workmanship defined in the second half of chapter 2 is the workmanship of the unity of the body? Does that, you see what, because he says, you're, you're the workmanship, you're created for good works. Therefore, you are far off, he's brought you near to create this unified body of believers. And of course, if it's Jew and Gentile, it's, all social strata, all races, all anybody, you know, gathered in to be one family of God. So again, those things that we tend to think of as individual, you know, this power toward you, well, that's, I should say again, this is toward y'all, right? We should have the Southern translation, you know, of the Bible, so that you could just naturally put all the plurals in y'all. Um, now I have I have I've really converted to you guys. It's an apology to women, but that's what I do. And you know, I guess that we got that from the Northerners, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. But to me, it's just a terrible thing to say to women, you know. But anyway, no, it's not. I've, I use it all the time. We understand what it means. But y'all is not gender specific, is it? Um, But just seeing, again, this is the importance of context. And it's important to see that this resurrection that brings us to the right hand of Christ and creates us a workmanship is now, it's, it's almost as though this is the definition of this. You can't think of being raised from the dead and at the right hand of Jesus and being his workmanship without thinking, I'm a part of a new body of people now. That's what being raised from the dead means. Because when I was given to myself, I was, as Paul puts it in Titus, I was hating and being hated. That was my life, basically. I'm up for myself. Now I've been raised to be at the right hand of Jesus far above all those powers that had me under their thumb and that were working in me. What's the result? I've been joined to a people. <laughs> I have a people now. I have a family. And this family will never go away. This family is my family forever. That's what resurrection means. Resurrection, therefore, you might say, resurrection in Ephesians means community. And it means even that in that families are not just defined and this in strong we, we of course argue for want to promote strong, intact, you know, families, etc. Uh, that we, we emphasize that later in Ephesians, as a part of the overall discussion of community, he gets into individual family relationships. That's how important, 
How can you have community here if you're not having community here, right? How can there be love and devotion to one another when there's, you know, war here? So husbands love wives. Love, submit, and honor your uh, husband and love your children. Don't exasperate them and slaves and masters and, and people in the workplace, etc. All of these are important. But the other side that families can begin to think it's just us and we're the most important thing apart from it. It doesn't really matter if we're part of the church or not. Rather that Thank God that we can bring our family under the protection and in the unity and fellowship of God's people to receive their help to be a better family, to to find their strength in our weakness, uh, to pour our lives into them and them into us, to have this outside purpose of our family, of how we're ministering to the world and ministering to the church and have this purpose and focus. So that can work both ways. But the resurrection, more than it talks about individual families, it talks about the family, right? We're resurrected to be the family. This has a part in it, but it's about the family of God, or as he calls it, when he says in verse 19 in chapter 2, the household of God Uh, A good translation would be the family of God. Um, And then, just to show, get here, this little section 3, 1 through 14, he keeps talking about this amazing aspect of Jew and Gentile being brought together. Um, So he talks about I'm Paul, prisoner, on behalf of you Gentiles. You've heard of my stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. There's this mystery made known to me, as I've written briefly. Uh, You perceive my insight in this mystery, verse 4. Notice verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So prophets there, as we said last week, Don't refer to Old Testament prophets. These are New Testament prophets because Old Testament prophets did not have this revealed to them. These are New Testament prophets. Same as chapter 2, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's not Old Testament. That's New Testament prophets. There are a lot of implications about that, but that's what that is. But notice what the mystery is in verse 6. This mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So this this amazing unity, this amazing unity, Paul says this is the great mystery that was revealed in the New Testament times that the Gentiles would be one with the Jews. So, again, he's celebrating the unity, the beauty of the unity of the body, celebrating the result of the resurrection of Jesus, which brings us into this glorious unity of Jew and Gentile. And it's this gospel, verse 7, I was made a minister, right? Uh, 
according to the gift of God, given me by the working of His power. And I love this statement in verse 8. It's one of my favorite statements about the gospel. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's the gospel, right? The unsearchable riches of Christ. <clears throat> but notice, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages, we just had talked about that, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So, and this is according to his eternal purpose. So, this, this uh, you might say this unity, this love of people that breaks all boundaries is now the angels, or you might say all authorities. We're not sure... Is he including good angels, bad angels, the whole spiritual world? It's kind of hard to see. If it's a revelation to the uh, forces against God, then it's a revelation of the power of God to say, look what you couldn't stop. (laughs) Look what you can't uh, have any any barriers to. An announcement of all the... the, uh, the hatred and warfare that you wanted to create in this world, look what's happening. People who you think wouldn't love each other, they're loving each other. People who you think worried each other's throat, now they're bound into one. That's an announcement to the forces of wickedness. Your day is over. (laughs) Really, your day is over. This is the new future. It's the unity, it's the community that God's creating. This is where the world's headed. Not in the direction you wanted when you brought about the fall and instigated the fall. This is the new future. The mystery revealed that now it's being announced even to the spiritual forces. Now, if it's to the righteous forces, then they're like, you know, rejoicing in heaven. You know, they're like, this is amazing. Look what God is doing uh, in his new power that has broken out upon the world. So... In, in broader language, this all then is new creation breaking into the old creation. So we're seeing new creation. You and I, we Gentiles and, and Jews and Gentiles together and everybody who shouldn't be together but they are together is a sign of the new creation and a sign of the resurrection of Jesus a sign of that resurrection breaking out in the world in power and glory. But isn't it interesting how socially oriented the resurrection is? How oriented toward fellowship, how oriented toward community, how oriented toward love. As we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which means we're created in Christ Jesus for love particularly in the first place, to love one another in this new community, this new mystery that's been revealed. And then, to top it off, this great prayer. Let's just look at it briefly and then I'll take a few questions. Um, For this reason, verse 14, um, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. So, we are family because God is family. There are fathers on earth because there's a father in heaven. <clears throat> um, so that according to the riches of his glory, 
He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Huh, I think I've heard about power before here, right? So again, I pray that you'd be strengthened with power according to what? According to the riches of his glory, which means according to the unlimited capacity of God. So he's still trying to raise our eyes high to see how great this power is that's toward us. That it may be in keeping with this unlimited capacity that he has. And he uses two words, strengthened with power through his spirit in your, in your inner being. And I take verse 17 not to be so that, but that is. That is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In other words, the result or, or the, the manifestation of Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith is that the power of, of, of the spirit is working in us. That's the way Christ exercises his power and dwells in us. Is through the Spirit. But then, uh, this, this is truly fascinating. He says, being rooted and grounded in love, and every commentator puts this as rooted and grounded in the love of the community. Because it says, together with all the saints, in this community of love, you may do what? You may know what? Height, the depth, length, and breadth. And most commentators would say that means the height and depth, the length, and breadth of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So that you would know this expansive, uh, ever-extending, unlimited love of Christ that just goes beyond our knowledge. It's so glorious and wonderful. But, but here, notice, though we can read in John, he lo- we love because he first loved us, okay? That's first, uh, first John. So, 419, we only love one another because he loved us. But, down here, this forms a community And only in community, only rooted and grounded in our love for one another, and only together with all the saints do we then deepen our love of Jesus. So, it's interesting. His love forms the community, and then in community is how we grow more and more deeply to understand His love, not outside that community. That's resurrection. Resurrection into a community because of the love of God that alone within this community do we then further understand and deepen our, uh, the love of God. And only in community then are we, in the verse 19, filled up to all the fullness of God. There's no monkdom. <laughs> I may be forced if you're in prison somewhere or something like that, but there's no... It's interesting we've got... Uh, a painting by Michelangelo, the only one in the Western Hemisphere, right? A canvas painting of Michelangelo about St. Anthony being attacked by demons. But St. Anthony was a hermit, an Egyptian hermit. It was just understood. You go out into the desert to get close to God. No, you bury yourself in the community if you want to get close to God. That's resurrection. Not this, not Darwin in high school hoping I could live on a desert island my whole life. Yeah, I'm an introvert. (laughs) 
I love, <laughs> I love, you know, Courtney Jewett there. He's an elder at the other church and Courtney is a, an announced introvert, right? She's, she knows she's known to be an introvert, but she, I mean, she has tons of people in their home and all this. Well, I sent her that Babylon B uh, a couple of years ago where it said, uh, an introvert released a smoke bomb at the meet and greet in church. You know? so, I'm like, that's a good idea, you know. So I send this to, to uh, send this to Courtney, and she just sends back one line. I didn't see where I could buy one. <laughs> uh, so good. You know? I get it, and I want one. You know, so. But, and it was my learning about the Trinity at first, this is where I first began to attack my, my natural tendency as an introvert. When I began to realize, wait a minute, I'm made in the image of God who is community, God who is fellowship, God who has relationship. Maybe I'm made for relationship. Maybe a relationship will fulfill me and enrich me and give me joy. Well, I have found that to be true, right? So, as I've said before, even going to a men's retreat, I have to, you know, push a few buttons, click a few things to, to get into it. Now, when I get there, I'm eager. I'm, I've learned, you know, hopefully in decades to look forward to these things. But I still make choices, you know, and, and then I'm enriched, as always, you know, by being with the men. So, anyway, I just, all of this to try to underscore uh, that the resurrection has to do with church. It has to do with y'all. That even this thing that you, we tend to apply so much to just me, I'm been raised from the dead. I'm seated with Christ. I'm a new workmanship. No, it's we, we, particularly so that we become this new unity that's now revealing its glory to, oh, I've erased it, but to the uh, powers, uh, spiritual powers of this world. That's how glorious this is. This is. Um, and then the final prayer, of course. All right, so any comments or questions? There are no questions. I know I'm thinking about my neighbors who moved out where they didn't have as many people, and he was happy with that, that God convicted him. He needed to be more part of community. And he moved into my little old historic district where the houses are about this far apart. And he... <laughs> Force-fed himself. <laughs> to be, to know everybody on the street, to help everybody out. And he's mm. like, there now is my protector and he and his wife and my, our friends. And he's teaching me more and more about being community. Mm. And this was not something he desired to do, but he joys in doing it. Wow. That reminds me of that country song. You heard it that where the guy says, I hope. I pray that I can live on the outskirts of heaven because he wants to be a country boy, you know, forever. <laughs> you think, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it is interesting, isn't it, that it's the city of God, not the wilderness of God. It's the city of God. Now, of course, I love well, I love creations, but, but creation is in the city as well. Um, and the creation, man, mankind is in the city. So that's a wonderful thing as well. All right, let's, I've got a, a meeting I need to get to. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you.
for raising us together as a new people. Thank you, Lord, that what you're doing in us is so glorious that the the, uh, spiritual forces uh, in the heavenlies are taking note. And it is announcing who you are. You're revealing your majesty and you're revealing your great wisdom in that through the very terrible death of Jesus, look what has flowered forth from it. The body of Christ that will, this household of God, this family of God that will live on forever. Lord, how amazing that through our fellowship, through our love for one another, uh, wicked powers are, have been announced their doom. Uh, the new creation is underway. And the angels in heaven rejoice over all that is lost and found and brought together into a new unity. Lord, thank you for this great work. We praise you for raising us from the dead, seating us with Christ. We thank you that we are your workmanship. Oh, Lord, ever do your great work in us, for we are weak, but you are strong. Amen.